Welcome, friends, uh, back to the Catchy Lefty podcast, uh, where we're going to be discussing Lent. I'm sorry, we're going to be discussing Easter Tide Four. Uh, this should be preached on April 17th. My name is Jonathan Sprang, and I pastor out in the Dallas area at a church called Catalyst uh, Church. And I'm joined by my good friend Patrick Engel. And you are somewhere in Colorado, right? <laughs> I am. I'm in the southwest corner. Uh, in, in Durango, Colorado, and I pastor at Faith Community uh, Church. Nice. Um, so yeah, we're going to be looking at uh, Eastertide 4, and as we've discussed in previous podcasts in this series uh, that we're calling C- uh, Identity Crisis, uh, we're pairing the Revelation passage from the lectionary with the John passage of the lectionary so that we get a, a, this kind of image of Jesus in his own words and then an image of the church um, that is suffering in Revelation and what what the Lamb has to offer. Uh, we had some great discussion in our one in our post from last week, and we're excited to jump in today. Patrick, do you have any initial thoughts of how how you um, how you're approaching this series or um, these passages in general? Um, yeah. So, so I think identity crisis uh, first and foremost is just a really needed. Um, message for our church in America today. Um, I got carried away a couple of weeks ago, um, finishing up Lent, and I just started talking about how uh, the, the specifically the evangelical church in America is obsessed with this idea of power and control. And what we see time and time again, um, what I believe we see in the gospel of John and specifically in the book of revelation is a redefinition, a redefining act of what it means to be the people of God. And it has very little to do with power and control. Um, in fact, if you're going to be people who are marked by the lamb, um, you're going to be giving up uh, levels of power and you're going to be actually taking on a posture of sacrifice. Um, so like, so for me personally, um, I, I mean, I love the book of revelation. I, I feel like it's my jam. Um, and, and I really like chapter five. That's why last week's podcast, I think was just such a good conversation because, uh, it has just that passage for, I mean, years has just constantly been, um, resounding within my spirit, within my mind. Um, and I like to preach a lot of sermons about, about love and charity and compassion and forgiveness and sacrifice and participating with the least of these. And I found myself in my current situation where I was pastoring. Um, I found myself that I was speaking from a privileged position. Like it was really easy for me to talk about all these things and to preach these, all these things when honestly like the hardest person in my life um, was an upset board member. Or when the most, you know, when the most difficult, when the most difficult thing for me was when a person knocked on my door past office hours and I had to talk for them. Uh, And I also found too that um, 
just with a with a lot of the atmosphere um, in our country today, with with this whole Black Lives Matter movement, with um, with the distrust for uh, law enforcement, uh, with the desire for security that has been the one of the major components of the 2017 presidential campaign. Um, that I was able to say a lot of things, but at the same time, I was, like I said earlier, I was saying them from a privileged position. Um, I was saying them while I was dependent upon um, police officers to act violently, even though I took a stance of nonviolence. Um, I was, I, I, I could support my my friends who were of different ethnicities. Um, but I could do it from the background because, you know, I'm white and I'm male and I'm middle class. Um, and I mean, so like, so it was just, I had, a, I was, I started to discover a whole lot of blind spots in my own life. Um, and like just through a lot of prayer and meditation and discussions with some close mentors of mine, I discovered honestly that I, that the Holy Spirit was moving me to do something radical, at least for me. And so I took up this, um, I, I took up the role of becoming bivocational, um, of, of stepping back from my, my role as a full-time pastor in the church and empowering, um, the people in the congregation to start embracing kind of the call, um, of what it means to participate in the church. But then at the same time, the, the second job that I took to become bivocational uh, was in the role of law enforcement, which is really just for those people who know me, that's really strange that I would even say that and that I would even consider mm -hmm. that. Um, but I realized that it was a perspective that I really hadn't given a lot of thought to. And I, even though to some degree, I was dependent upon them. Because to some degree, we're all dependent upon people on, on those who participate in our legal system, whether they be judges and lawyers or police officers or detention workers and so on and so forth. And, and I was respective. So I uh, took up this role uh, and I'm on the process of becoming a law enforcement officer while at the same time pastoring a church and while at the same time empowering the people of the church um, <laughs> <laughs> to allow me to do this and to follow me through on this uh, crazy choice and journey that I'm making. Um, and it really is, I mean, it's, it's, it's empowering, but man, it's super, uh, it's super challenging. Like it's challenging to sit in, uh, to sit in classes at the academy and to hear people just talk so flippantly about um, how bad guys deserve what they get and how we're the good guys, mm. even though, even though, so if we are the good guys or not, um, speaking for law enforcement, um, it's so hard to hear parishioners come up and say to me, we distrust police officers and we don't know why you're choosing to become one or to hear others come up to me and say, man, we are, we think what you're doing is so great. Go get them and make sure you 
make sure you punish all those people that deserve to be punished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, and then it's also really hard to hear people say, man, we just, we just don't understand why you're not preaching all the time and why we, why other people in our church are now preaching. Doesn't that mean, uh, like, it's just a complete disorienting life right now that my mm-hmm. church is in and that I'm in as their pastor. Uh, but it fits so well with the book of Revelation because like what we talked about earlier is that the book of Revelation is a disorienting letter. It's mm-hmm. apocalyptic in nature because it's meant to challenge our perceptions and, and give us an opportunity to imagine something completely subversive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where, and we haven't even read the scripture passages yet. And I think I just talked for like 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the Sunday that you are preaching. At yes, your I am preaching at, yeah, at Catalyst <laughs> on this Sunday, uh, Easter four. Uh, so yeah, it's, 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 it's a difficult, it's an interesting passage for sure. So let's jump into it and then we can talk more about it. Unless you have any other initial thoughts that you want to share. No, I just uh, thank you for sharing all that, that, that tension. I can, I can sense that tension and even in myself hearing you share it. I know that, um, I know that that's something that's, that's difficult to live in, but I think you're, I think you're setting a great example for all of us to, to find the places where we have blind spots and, and do something about it. Don't keep living there. Uh, Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is that it doesn't have to look like me. mm -hmm. It's just the challenge that we all have blind spots. Yeah. I mean, and, and we, once they're brought to our attention, we can't live in them. And I think that's the challenge of this series mm-hmm. um, as we try to figure out what it means to be identified with Christ. Yeah. So okay. I'll read uh, through the, the Revelation passage, and then uh, Patrick will read through the John passage, and then we'll discuss them uh, separately and then how they cross paths. Uh, so Revelation 7, 9 through 17. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they all fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these robed in white and where have they come from? I said to him, sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, these are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple and the one who is seated on a throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. 
And so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. Sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Mm. All right. <laughs> a lot so going they, on. A lot of imagery. It, yeah. I so so what um, this this passage that is is kind of subtle, I think. I think it's easy to miss, but in in chapter six, um it talks about who can stand, um who is able to stand before before god like Mm -hmm. who who is who are the people who can be in this presence and if you remember revelation chapter six is this beautiful imagery i mean of the throne room of god um and so like that's the question of chapter six and then you jump into chapter seven and it's like oh this is who can stand Mm -hmm. and it follows a lot of the same pattern of revelation five is where you know, John hears a lion, but he sees a lamb. Mm-hmm. Um, well, John is told that it's a hundred. It's the hundred and forty-four saints. You know, which represents the tribes of Israel, excluding the tribe of Dan. Um, and then, when when John looks, what he sees is a great multitude that is beyond numbering from every tribe and every mm-hmm. tongue and every nation. And I think that's pretty much awesome <laughs> yeah. a, clear, a clear shift in, in, uh, in thinking from from this one select group of people that are here worshiping and then seeing uh peoples from all languages and tribes uh that's definitely right. definitely important to point out right um i mean and and they're like they associate that like their victory cry is victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Um, and they find themselves, um, you know, in, in the presence of the lamb, not the lion, the lamb. Mm-hmm. And that's who the victory belongs to. And it's, it's a great multitude. Um, and I think too, like there's this there's this connection between these dressed in white and the lamb. These are the ones who came out of the great ordeal, and they have washed their robes and made them white <laughs> from washing them bl- in the blood. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it's <laughs> like, all this imagery. Need to tell- <laughs> yeah, John, you can't make things white by blood. <laughs> right. And I think I think that's the that's the thing again. Apocalyptic literature using these metaphors, using these images to evoke a response from us. And and what it's trying to say is that these these chosen ones are there because they participated in sacrifice. They were they they followed the way of the lamb, as opposed to the way of the sword and the way of the lion. And because of that, that's what makes them worthy. That's what makes them uh, holy. That's what makes their robes white. Um, and then I right. think there's well, another interesting – go ahead. 
Oh no, I was gonna say, and it's almost as if you're. This is probably what you're gonna say, but it's almost because of their identification with the lamb that caused them to go through the sacrifice. Because mm-hmm. they identified themselves with the lamb, they then experienced this great tribulation. I mean, in the great tribulation, it's not specific, and it's not specific for a reason, because you know, like we all go through great tribulations at some point in another, and. And it's not because of God's doing, but it's because of our identification with the lamb. And because we identify ourselves with the lamb, the world, the empire, the powers and the principalities Mm -hmm. then cause tribulation for us to go through. And I think as we, as we continue to read what we see them, what we see them that also um, they recognize that the powers of the world, the powers of the culture around them that continue to promise food shelter, uh, protection, that they were all lying, that they could not provide that, that the only one that they needed to find that sustenance and that, uh, the, the only one that they needed to provide those things for them was God himself, was, was the lamb. The lamb was the one that's going to, you know, make it so that they don't hungry, make it so that they don't thirst, make it so that the sun will not strike them with scorching heat, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then at the very end, there's this other flip of on its head that there's there's that there's a lamb and actually the lamb is a shepherd so it's like what? what's going on why are you mixing all these metaphors john right um, the lamb is in the, the throne will shepherd them yeah. yeah but what what he's what he's trying to get at is that this lamb is the one that he he's he's showing us the way as the shepherd would guide sheep this lamb is guiding sheep as well and i think that's the perfect crossover as we see in the john passage where Jesus is talking about his sheep and talking about that his right. sheep know his voice and they, they listen to it and that he and the father are one, which is another connection between like the one on the throne and the lamb, like this connection that the father and the, and Jesus have that they are one, but there's also that, that continual, that continual call that the, that these are those that have followed the lamb and the lamb is their shepherd. And then we get to the John passage and Jesus is continuing to use the same metaphor. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Um, And they know me. Yeah. And, and there's security in that. Yeah. And I think that's really important is that like these saints, the small multitude of saints and um, Jesus's lamb or sheep, like they have an eternal security that is promised to them. And so there is this, so they're not necessarily protected from tribulation or trial or hardship. Um, Like that's going to happen to them because of who they identify with. Um, Mm -hmm. But their lives are still found secure because of who they identify with. Yeah. And I love the, I mean, the the wipe away every tear, you know, could be interpreted that um, they don't cry anymore. Whereas I think what it really means is that he is their comfort when they cry. And I think you're right on about that. I think, I think there's something that we've, we've, we've got it mixed up in our heads that, that, that the peace that God is offering is, is that life without conflict. And what he's, what Jesus is offering is actually the, almost the exact opposite. No, following me means conflict. Following me means hardship. Following me is not an easy path, but it is the way to real life. If you want real life, it's going to mean conflict. It's going to mean struggle. But in the midst of that struggle, I will provide, I will comfort, I will be the one that provides shelter. And also the, the, the description of, 
of the the temple, the great temple being the like the place where God uh, resides. You know, this imagery of this this uh, massive temple in heaven. Uh, being the place where where they're they're about to enter into that temple, that throne room. This 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 imagery is all dealing with the fact that God wanted to be with His people. That, that all that's wrapped up in all of this imagery. Um, that it's with God where all of these, the, all your security, all your provision, all of it comes from Him. So stop listening to these other voices. And I think that's what's interesting about you know when you get into the John passage is that these people come to him and are continuing to ask, just tell us who you are. Tell us yeah. plainly. And he's like, I, I did tell you, but he, but he says, I don't do it by the voice. I don't do it by the right. things that I say. Do it. I do it by the things that I do. The works right. that I do in my father's name, they tell you who I am. So if you're not paying attention, if you're not seeing that happen, then you're not of my sheep because my sheep, they know and they believe because they follow me and they know my voice. Um, and I think all that's wrapped up in there, that there's this sense where the call for us as followers of the Lamb is to tune our ears to hear His voice in the midst of all the voices. Tune yeah. our ears to hear the voice of the Lamb, because He is our shepherd, and we shall not want. And, well, and that's I what's think... so powerful is that also Psalm 23 is the, is the psalm for this Sunday. So I don't think there's any, I mean, there's not <laughs> any like mistake about what size on this Sunday. <laughs> right. Well, and I think, I mean, and I think that's like, that leads us if, if these passages are preached correctly and if this series has been preached correctly up to this point, like every week, this pat, these passages should lead us. I mean, to, to moments of reflection. Um, and I mean, in mm-hmm. questioning, like we need to, we should question, well, who do we, who do we place our security in? what do we actually believe is the gospel? Um, yeah. Are we still caught up in the identity of the lion or are we caught, are, are we living the identity of the lamb? I mean, in those, like yeah. those present very, those are kind of abstract broad questions, but I think those lead to very specific questions for each person who's listening to these sermons or who's trying to honestly process what these sermons have to say. Yeah. Um, now I don't know if you've heard of this movie, but there's a movie called um, "To End All Wars." You heard of this movie? I haven't. It's got, got Kiefer Sutherland in it, and it's got uh, a couple other recognizable people. Um, but basically, it's about these uh, prisoners of war that were in. They're from, I think, from either Ireland or Britain. They and they're 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 in they're in prison camps. There's a, they're in a specific prison camp in, um, in China, I think. I don't know all the specifics, but the, the story is beautiful because basically there's one guy who, in his, who before they went to war, he was a pastor. He was a, a, in school to be a pastor. And so they develop, they, they decide that they want to, um, they want to build, like they want to start a school, which they can't congregate as part of their, their, their prison camp. They aren't allowed to congregate. And so they have to keep like sneaking in and sneaking out of these tents uh, so that they're like basically getting this rotating school where people come in for a few minutes and then they have to leave. And then so they, they come back later and get the rest kind of thing. And so one of the classes that they begin to teach is follow is, is the Bible. They start to teach the Bible. And then when the, their, their captors find the books, they, they punish them and they bring uh, they bring the they bring the in they bring the Bible in they bring the 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 pastor in 
and they show him they show him the pictures from the Bible because they can't read it because it's not in in Japanese or, Ch or Chinese, whichever it is. And, and and they and so they're showing them and they're showing him like, is this is this the who is this? Why is this doing it? So it's, it's like this crucifixion. And he's he basically says, if you let us like they're basically telling him, you need to stop teaching this. This is bad. You're teaching bad stuff. And what he tells them is if you if you allow us to teach this to the prisoners, we will be better servants. We will be better <laughs> prisoners. We will work harder. If you allow us to teach following Jesus in this prison camp, you will not have to find, you will not have to fight us to work harder. We will work harder. We will work. We will treat you with dignity. I mean, all of this stuff. And it ends up being like this, this very impactful movie. And there's a couple of scenes later on that are just, just where it, they take it all the way to the end and they just, it's, it's, it was a powerful moment because it's like when we, when we see that as, as, as people who are, who are, who are people of the lion, what we want to see is we want to see him, him grab the sword or grab the gun and shoot the leader and revolt and do a whole Chuck Norris. I'm going to break out of here and, and do, do the hero thing. But what they're, what they, what they showed in this movie is that actually when you, when you claim to follow Jesus, it makes you, a better servant it makes you a better slave and you're a slave to all because that's how jesus taught us to live mm. and that's i mean that's in the midst of war that's in the midst of th something that we're never going to be in and they followed this way <laughs> what's that did you just make yourself cry i mean so i'm close i'm close <laughs> i love this movie i love the movie and it's it's worth seeing because the way that it ends is just i'll have to it, check it out incredible yeah well and i think that leads like i was just uh i was scrolling through some of uh scott daniel's notes um a couple of days ago for this uh for this passage and i just pulled them up again because i remember he said this thing and i think it's like i think it's perfect and it just goes really well with the movie reference that you just said to end all wars um and he says he says this, he says, almost every week during this series, someone has asked me a question about the implications of being marked by the lamb, especially as it relates to questions about the use of violence and pacifism. Uh, it is clear in Revelation that the life of the lamb is a life embodied in the peaceful witness of the martyrs who participate in the slaughtered life of the lamb. For John, violence is part of the mythology of the empire, while self-giving love is part of the witness to Christ's kingdom. To live in the present kingdom of God or to be marked by the Lamb is to live like Stephen and Acts as a peaceful witness to the kingdom. People either cannot or refuse to see all around them. That's a wonderful and beautiful thing, but I still get these kinds of questions from people. But does that imply that we have to live nonviolently today? Isn't there some benefit to Christians serving in the military or serving as police officers today? Doesn't the protection of innocent of the innocent and vulnerable, even if violence has to be used, also reflect part of the return of the God of God? Can a Christian run for public office and work for the good of the empire while still being a citizen of God's kingdom? The truth is, I have no easy answer to those questions. And the challenge is not just in the areas that necess that necess necessitate readiness to participate in lethal violence. It carries into questions about commerce, economics, public policy, education, and on. And on and on the divide between the present reality of God's kingdom and the invitation to live as witnesses to that kingdom and the reality of the not yet nature of the empire runs through the heart of each and every individual. And I don't think there are any easy answers 
but I know that we bear the image of Christ and are therefore called to be his imagers or reflections in this world. However, that still doesn't clearly or easily answer the question about what it means for me to be an American as well. Like, mm. isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, and it that's just goes what you Right. And it goes back to something that we talk about often here. Probably you probably have gotten tired of hearing us uh, say it, but that, that, you know, to say it anyway. Yeah. That, that are we Americans who happen to be Christians or are we Christians who happen to live in America? Right. And I think that's where, that's where most of the conflict that people are going to have with these passages. That's what, that's the conflict. Oh yeah. That's the conflict. That's all it is. It's, it's that we've, that American Christianity has gotten in its head that being American, is, that America is, and Christianity are one and the same, that nationalism and Amer- and Christianity is one and the same. And it's just not, if anything, it's, it's running counter to the way of Christ. Um, and, right. the, and that if we're going to claim the, the name of Jesus, we have to follow the path. We have to follow the shepherd who is a lamb continually slaughtered for the for the for the masses for all for tribes and all nations right. i mean it's just like uh, it's powerful it is it's super powerful and it's good stuff um i'm excited for for this series i'm just it just yeah. it keeps getting better and better as we yeah. dive into it yeah well, thank you so much, friends, for listening. This has been our Catch Lecty, Lecty podcast for Easter Tide Four, and uh, if, if, if you'd love to get involved in the conversation, we'd love to have you. Uh, just if you've wanted to go to catchylecty.com, you can find all of the series graphics and other resources there. Um, if you want to get into conversations with us on our Facebook page, it's at catchy uh, facebook.com forward slash catchylecty. Um, if you'd like to connect with us at Catalyst and hear how we're preaching these passages, feel free to do so. It's at catrow.org, C-A-T-R-O-W dot O-R-G. And if you'd like to connect with me, uh, I'm on Twitter at I-M-Sprang, I-A-M-S-P-R-A-N-G. And Patrick, uh, where can people connect with you and hear your messages? Uh, you can find us at uh, church, um, or you can find me on Twitter at Patrick Glenn. Uh, it's P-A-D-R-A-I-C. Uh, and Glenn with two ends. Awesome. Well, thanks again, friends, for joining us. And until we meet again, grace and peace. <laughs>